0: come Holy Spirit come and have your way in Jesus name it was on the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice Eloi Eloi Lama Sabachtini Eloi Eloi, lama sabatani, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? The cry of abandonment from Jesus reflects his humility to the Father for humanity. And let us be clear about this abandonment. It is in our English definition that we believe that the word abandonment means to leave completely or to be finalized with whatever it is that we decide to leave behind. But the one thing I love about the Lord our God is that he is always the opposite of what man thinks he's doing. The Bible tells me that he shall never leave me nor forsake me. And even while Jesus is asking the question why, it seems to us that God is leaving him and never coming back. Some of us feel the same way, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? It, is, ref, it reflects the burden of humanity's sin, not the sins that we commit ourselves, but the monster in the room. It also confirms the redemption that was in Genesis 3.15. And it gives us a complete identification that Jesus wanted to identify with you and I. Hebrews 2.17 says this, so he had to be made like his brothers in every way, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God in order to make an atonement for the sins of you and I. My God my God why have thou forsaken me we take back by this we take back by the sin of those who rejected Christ and this is a reminder of the darkness of our own hearts however below the surface another theme another theme emerges the humility of Christ See, the cross is significant, not ultimately because of the physical suffering that comes to mind, though the Christ's physical and bodily death are obviously and essential to our salvation, but the cross is ultimately significant because of the spiritual realities that converges in this one moment in history. My God. My God. Why have thou forsaken me? Physical response. Let's deal with that. In Romans 5.18, Paul says that Adam's sin brought condemnation to all men. The effects on the natural order has been catastrophic. How do we know? World wars have come. The Holocaust has come and gone. Cancer, diseases, tsunamis, earthquakes. Hurricanes, tornadoes, terrorism, pain, and suffering, all because of sin. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Let's deal with the spiritual realities about this moment. Before the cross, before the cross is for anyone's else's sake. The cross is for God's sake. We've had this undaunted reality that the cross was just all about me. The cross was just all about God just dying for our sins. But folks, I'm here to tell you that the cross was about Jesus the, giving the redemption to the promise that he was doing what was what was inevitably had to happen, that he was redeeming what. Adam and Eve did and caused the fall in the garden. He was redeeming God's redemption for humanity, but really he was standing in before and dealing for his father first and foremost. We were second. He was saying, I'm coming to redeem that which was lost. I'm coming to glorify you, Father. I'm coming to glorify your name. first, How many of us, if our father have lost something and the benefit of getting that back really benefits the entire family but first and foremost, who would it benefit most? It would benefit your father. Jesus was doing the same thing. He said, Father, I come what? To glorify your name first. Then because of your name being glorified, all mankind. Now can be redeemed. John 12, 27 through 28, after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem and in preparation for his crucifixion, Jesus says explicitly that God's glory was at the heart of the purpose for his coming. Here's what he said. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But this is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. We walk about being on the Savior's mind when we went to the cross, when he went to the cross. But first and foremost, the Father was on the Savior's mind when he was on the cross. The cross vindicated God's character before it rescued us. As we think about the cross and the magnitude of What happened in Mark 15, 34? We need to keep God's creative perspective in mind. Jesus' humility, let's talk about that. Because that was the core of what was happening on the cross. Even through suffering all the pain, we've heard time after time, his humility for his father and to mankind started to emerge. Jesus' humility responded to us in three specific ways in his crucifixion on the cross. In his substitution, Jesus died for our death. And there were three main things in that which we are to understand. It saves us, it seals us, and it gives us eternal life. He is the Passover lamb in Exodus 12 who saves us with his blood. He is the covenant keeper in Exodus 24, who seals us with his blood. And before the cross, we were headed to eternal death. Because of the cross, we are now headed to eternal life. All glory be to God. His propitiation, Jesus endured our condemnation. The cup of the cross is not only and not only primarily physical suffering, which we all understand, it is predominantly spiritual suffering. Jesus was not a coward about to face Roman soldiers. He was a savior about to experience divine wrath. Oh, I pray you hear me. Before the cross, we were afraid of God. Because of the cross, we are now friends of God. His reconciliation. Jesus suffered our separation His cry on the cross, the curse of the cross, Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the cross of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Curses everyone that hangeth on a tree. Before the cross, we were cast out of God's presence. Because of the cross, we're now invited in to his presence. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? In the middle of all the rejection, what was potentially most disheartening was the reaction of the disciples betraying, denying, disobeying, scattering, and deserting the Son of God. Among them were Judas, Peter, and other disciples. No one proved faithful, even all of creation was against Christ. After three years of walking with Jesus, his closest companions deserted him at his darkest hour. Having seen the rejection of Jesus by different groups of people in Mark and Matthew's account, including Jesus' own disciples, we might be tempted to see the problem of sin and wickedness as being a problem in the lives of other people. It's just those folks, not me. However, we need to tremble at the horror of the wickedness that is in our own lives as well. I raise my hand first. The character in this story embodies the same sin and rebellion that exists in our hearts. And like us, they need God's grace. So let's consider then, which character you most identify with in the passion narrative. Do you identify with Simeon carrying Jesus' cross for him? The woman who stood at a distance watching these things? Mary standing near the cross of Jesus and gut-wrenching belief, The thief asking Jesus to remember him in his kingdom? How about the centurion who watched Jesus die and shouted out, This man is really the son of God. And Arthur C.H. Mahoney's response is perhaps the most appropriate. I identify most with the angry mob screaming, crucify him. Now many of you right now are saying, you know, I love Jesus. I, I would never do that. But it's in our unforgiveness. Crucify him. It is in our disobedience. We shall crucify him. It is in our immorality. We shall crucify him. It is in our adultery we shall crucify him. It is in our jealousies we shall crucify him. That who we should all identify with because apart from God's grace this is where we would all be standing. We're only flattering ourselves to think otherwise. Useless you see yourself standing there with the shrinking crowd filled of hostility and hatred for the holy and innocent Lamb of God. You don't really understand the nature and the depth of your sin or the necessity of the cross. Brothers and sisters, I have no clue because I too commit these sins. And today I am standing in the crowd In disobedience saying crucify my Lord and Savior. And every day we ride a walk where we not do the things that we shouldn't do but to honor and glorify the living Jesus. How do we respond to what we are going to do? Quickly that is. Surrender your hearts to God. If you are an unbeliever, turn from sin and trust in Christ. Do not seek to add to his infinite gloriousness and worthy sacrifice, but instead repent and embrace the free gift of salvation. And it takes just this, as Pastor Doug has said. I just got a few more words than he does. Father, I know that I have broken your laws and my sins have separated me from you. I'm truly sorry, and now I want to turn away from my past sinful life towards you. Please forgive me and help me avoid sinning again. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died for my sins and was resurrected from the dead and is alive, and here's my prayer. I invite Jesus into the day, into my life. In Jesus' name. If you are a believer, I say this. Spread the good news. It is the best news that we have for those uh, unbelievers. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Would you kneel with me if you could in prayer? Lord Jesus Christ, who by your death upon the cross bear the sins of the world, the pain of our lostness, and the judgment we deserve, We praise you for your bearing what we could never bear, to win for us what we could never earn, the gift of everlasting life. Oh, how we adore you for giving us a gift so priceless, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.